A bored mind gets distracted. How do you deal with that in a sale? Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. Today, I get to speak to a good friend of mine, Patricia Fripp, a Hall of Fame award-winning speaker, a sales trainer, and an in-demand executive speech coach. For over 30 years, she's been focusing on how professionals from all industries can communicate their ideas more effectively. She joins me from her home in San Francisco. Well, I'm thrilled to be here today with you, Patricia, and you are a presentation coach and a trainer and speaker extraordinary. So how did you begin learning how to create an experience where customers love to buy? Going back to the small town in England where I grew up, my dad was a very successful local businessman. And he was in the real estate business. In England, they call it a realtor and also an auctioneer. And what I saw was that my dad created such an experience once a month on a Wednesday, the in place to go was Arthur Fripp's auction sale. And he made it so entertaining. And he used to say, ladies, ladies, hold on. You're you're spending more money than if you bought this new in a store. And my mother, you know, as you know, Bob, I love to dress up with jewels and hats and gloves and furs. And I really got that from my mother because she used to dress up and bring the coffee in. And my father would say, now, hold on. Look, here's the Duchess of Wimborne bringing coffee. Let's see what she has on today. Now, I went to work as a hairstylist at age 15 to serve an apprenticeship. And the day my dad pushed me out the door for my first day of my first real job, you know, I'd been a waitress, etc. He said, in your career, don't concentrate on making a lot of money. However, concentrate on becoming the type of person that people want to do business with. And you most likely will make a lot of money. And that has been the foundation of every business that I've started or been part of. And then my first boss, Mr. Paul, very sophisticated, Swiss, lovely salon. My dad paid for me to serve an apprenticeship. And I saw him, Bob, treat every woman who came in our salon like the only one in the world for the amount of time that she was there. Now, when I was young, I thought, well, this is very nice. When I became a little more sophisticated, understand business, what I realized that when you treat the waitress in the posh Carlton Hotel, as well as the rich little ladies who lived in the Carlton Hotel, a waitress that has an affluent clientele on vacation of probably, I don't know, 200 people a day, her sphere of influence is greater than the rich little lady that plays bridge with her six same friends. Good customer service is good for sales. That is the beginning of what really made me successful in my own businesses. Now, I have to stop you there because that does not sound like the way I think of the British 
economy. I don't see it that way. That's kind of an American idea, isn't it? Or was that prevalent where you grew up? That sounds so extraordinary. You would have to understand my dad's whole story of how he became successful. And obviously, he was a good storyteller. And he liked to speak and entertain, even though he was a fairly reserved parts of his personality. And Mr. Paul, of course, was European. He was Swiss. And I learned by watching, in fact, as I became a speaker, very often people would miss my introduction and say, where did you get your degree in behavioral psychology? Or where did you get your MBA in business? And I used to say, 24 years behind a hairstyling chair, especially in very posh salons where you have, certainly you have people who work for a living, you know, but, but you had an affluent clientele. And I... I've always been naturally curious. My brother, if we were meeting socially, Bob, my brother would say, my sister is about to interrogate you. <laughs> but I've always been genuinely interested in working for Mr. Paul. When we had these rich, glamorous clients, as soon as I got comfortable with them, I used to say, what were you doing when you were my age? How did you make your money? Did you make it yourself or did you marry it? You know, good market research. You know, if you made it, how'd you do? If you married him, where did you meet him? I love that. I love that. Do you think that that's something that can be taught? Because I think a lot of people struggle with this because they haven't really seen it modeled and they don't know that it's a skill, right? That it's something that you can adopt. You must see that as a presentation coach. Yes. I would say for me, because I saw my dad as an entrepreneur, I went to work as an employee seeing a business from my boss's point of view. If you do not have that background, then you have to learn it. It's a great point. This why? I know that you say management's job is to train, motivate, and hold employees accountable. And that's true. When I first went into business for myself, the first management seminar I attended, the speaker made a comment I have never forgotten. And I mean, that has to be well over 40 years ago. I hope my, my audiences listen as well as I did. And this is what he said, Bob, your business is as good as your worst employee. And if you think your business as good as the person who is least likely to sell or upsell. That, you know, that sounds brilliant. And people don't realize that retail is a game of being brilliant on the basics. That's, yeah. it, everyone can understand that. But really doing it when you may have hired friends or maybe you don't like to tell people that they aren't up to snuff and having to have that uncomfortable conversation, because let's face it, there are a lot of people that don't want to hold someone accountable. Would you agree? I would agree. And obviously, when I went into business for myself, you know, I was San Francisco's number one men's hairstylist. I had worked for the Hollywood hairstylist, Jay Sebring. And Jay said a very simple thing. 
He said, we only have one gimmick, the best haircut in town. But it wasn't what he said as much as who he said it to. Time magazine, Newsweek, Playboy magazine, when no one else was talking about men's hairstyling because he started a whole new industry. And then when he took over our salon in San Francisco, he said as soon as Herb Kane, which was the local popular columnist that everybody read, even if they didn't read the rest of the paper, everybody read Herb Kane. And he said, as soon as there is a notice in Herb Kane that I'm in town, the phone will ring off the hook. And it did. Wow. I, I learned from Jay, doesn't matter how good you are, the world has to know about it. And that's when I became what I now call a shameless self-promoter. She is a shameless self-promoter, friends. I have uh, <laughs> taken several of her workshops, and uh, she is the reason why I am the retail doctor, because... One thing about Patricia Fripp, she does not let you get away with being sloppy or with having excuses. And I appreciate that. And, you know, in your recent newsletter, you talked about how to deal with the who cares syndrome. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Whenever we're delivering a presentation and a presentation is anything, it might be welcome to our store. That's a presentation. I believe that Everything is public speaking. I used to say outside the privacy of your own home, all speaking is public speaking. Now all our meetings are in Zoom. Honey, public speaking is in your living room. <laughs> Forget it. In sweatpants. Yes, exactly. In sweatpants, yes. It's just a matter of how we greet. And you talked about the basics. If we went back, I heard again years ago, because I'd always been a big, a big devotee of speakers and seminars. I took the Dale Carnegie public speaking course and all my pals, we went to every seminar, every rally, every, every situation we could hear. And Mike's, Mike Vance was a very popular speaker. Uh, and he'd work come from Disney and he talked about creating experiences and he talked about five sensing your environment. So you go out and you come in with fresh eyes. What you see, hear, taste, touch, smell. I would take a seminar and then I would come back and say to my staff, all right, let's do this. Walk outside. And we walk in. I say, can you see there is dust underneath the, the ledge under the seat? Now, if you're sitting there, you're on top of it, you can't see it. But people walking in is just a matter of looking at it with fresh eyes. And then it's just every part of the process. And if we can go back just very simply to what you said about management's job. When I began, I was very successful. I was a natural promoter. My biggest challenge when I hired other people, now these were people I worked with most, to begin with, people I knew, they were good hairstylists, but they weren't, they weren't hustlers, let's say. You know, they went home at the end of the day. Now you might say, well, where else is this to go? Well, if you were me, you went to Harpoon Louis, the local watering hole, and you flirted with the cute stockbrokers and gave them your business card. Now we call that networking. It used to be flirt with the cute stockbrokers and give them your card. 
In fact, I always remember a guy I dated at the time, and he said, Patricia, I find you very off-putting. We're out together, and you keep slipping your card in other guys' pockets saying, hey, look, you need me. <laughs> anyway. And look at you here. See, that's the thing. <laughs> yes. It, you know, success leaves clues, as they say. It doesn't come yeah. from one big thing. It's a lot of little things like that. Absolutely. Because I was now traveling for a hair product company that we were selling, I really had to. If I'm teaching other stylists to sell, I had to make sure my team were selling. And I had a wonderful young lady. She's very well trained, came up from Los Angeles, Chris. And she was a great stylist, lovely personality, but she didn't want to be a pushy salesperson. So I said, Chris, all right, this is a shampoo brush, 50 cents. Everybody needs a shampoo brush. You know, keep your scalp nice and healthy. And I said, there's a stack. You got eight clients today, they're eight. Everybody is going to walk out. And all you have to do, Chris, because you have to tell people what to say. You need this. You need this. It'll be keep your scalp healthier. It'll promote hair growth. Hand it to them or walk out with them and hand it to the receptionist and say, this is Bob and he needs this. 50 cents. They're not going to notice. They're not going to take it out your tip. 50 cents, even if you related it today to $2, who is going to argue for $2? And that got her in the habit and built her confidence. And then. So start small with something small, yeah. even though you want her to sell the shampoo or, or a hairdryer or whatever it's going to be, you have to start small so that they can have a feeling of accomplishment. Exactly. I like that. What if you could be fully prepared to lead your marketplace in the new retail surge for 2021, restore your sales volume to pre-pandemic levels, and start seeing double-digit sales increases every month? Well, it can happen, but only if you train your associates. That's why you should check out salesrx.com. We train every associate how to engage a stranger, discover the shopper, and yes, make more sales. Check out salesrx.com after this broadcast. Now, when you talk when you talk about the who cares syndrome, I know one of the biggest oh, yeah, things you said is, is yeah. no one cares about your company's story. What makes us turn off when we're listening to people? I was trying to look at one of your fripicisms, yeah. and here it is: a bored mind gets distracted and gets distracted. How do you is that right? A bored mind gets distracted and gets distracted. How do you well, deal I with I think that? that sounds like a typo if they're too distracted. It I know, I'm thinking, would she, but then I'm like, she could be brilliant. It could mean everything <laughs> is right there. A bored mind gets distracted and cuts the meeting short. Okay. So now what does that, what does that mean and how do you deal with okay, it? Okay. Well, and give me an example, like when you're in a meeting, what do you notice? What happens when you get distracted? What causes it? Well, that is in a more formal sales presentation. When I work on a simple principle, everyone's more interested in themselves than they are in me. And most salespeople, the type that I, I train, very often it's the, hello, I'm Bob Fibbs. 
you know, our company's the retail doctor. You know, we've been in business for this long and this is our unique methodology and this is who we do business with and we'd love to do business with you. I say nobody cares. What you want to do is say, Patricia, based on our last conversation or based on based on talking to John and Mary, they say your biggest concern is this, this and this. Is this correct? And then as you structure your presentation around their concerns, that's how you say, well, based on our 23 years experience, this would probably be the best option. And our other customer who is similar to you, that's when you tell your stories. Now, if you take that into the retail situation, if you look at what is going to make a wonderful experience just as I know you always say that you have to greet every shopper. Now, I this, this reminds me of, and this is a great why would I care situation. This was earlier in my speaking career, and I, I was all dressed up. I just delivered a presentation for the IRS. Well, after all, they get enough yep. of... Our money, I wanted some of these. And I was downtown San Francisco. I had an appointment uh, to talk to a gentleman who was considering hiring me to speak for his company. And his secretary said, Miss Rip, he's going to be half hour late. Would you like a cup of coffee? And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go to the store opposite. I need a pair of pantyhose. So as I walked into this store called Daisy, this wonderful, dynamic, incredible, fun person said, Good morning. Don't you look nice? I said, well, thank you. She said, can I help you? And I said, well, I just need a pair of pantyhose. She said, I work in the shoe department. Come talk to me. Well, I went over, got a couple of pairs of, of pantyhose. And I thought, well, you know, I got another 25 minutes. Let me wander over. And I thought, well, Perhaps I could do with a turquoise pair of shoes. So, you know, I'm talking to her and I'm looking down, admiring my new shoes. And she said, Patricia, you really do look nice. What do you do? I said, I travel around the country and tell people how to get, keep and deserve customers. And she said, for somebody who looked this good, I knew you were somebody important. And I thought, well, I got another uh, 15 minutes. Maybe I should tell her how important. I said, next month, I'm going to a convention of the National Speakers Association, and they are going to make me their first female president. She said, for somebody that important, do I have a dress for you? I went in, Bob, to buy a pair of pantyhose. Now, let's analyze what she did. One, she welcomed me and she gave me a genuine compliment. Now, none of us, if I'm in my, if I was in my jeans with no makeup, I don't want anyone to say, oh, you look fabulous. You know, you still can wear it. has to be authentic. Because even people, I said, I only want a pair of pantyhose, but she looked at me and she thought, she has credit cards. She did not, and this is what so often people do, 
we prejudge people by what they say or how they look. Now, she knew I was dressed up. She knew I was a woman who liked to dress up. But she didn't prejudge me. Oh, you know, as you say, they always want to buy. Yeah, well, I, I needed a pair. I needed a couple of pairs of pantyhose. I didn't need anything else. You know, I have more shoes than Imelda Marcus. She used to come by and admire mine, but I didn't have a pair of turquoise shoes, which she showed me. What she did, though, she gave me options and she made it a wonderful experience. And then she played off my ego. Bob, I am a sales trainer. I knew exactly what she was doing and I loved every second of it. Because aren't we the easiest? We're yes. the easiest people to sell to because we appreciate it. Yes. It's like great. That's it. And so I I left <laughs> with two pairs of hose, pair of turquoise shoes, and an exorbitantly expensive beaded evening dress. Because Bob, until I met her, I didn't realize I deserved such an expensive dress. Now that store is no longer there. I have no idea where she is. However, she made such an impression that I, when I used to talk about getting, keeping, and observing customers, she was one of my signature stories in every single speech. Nowadays, Daisy would have uh, probably asked you to join her in, on Instagram <laughs> or found a way to... Exactly. Uh, to get to follow you on LinkedIn or something, right? Because she obviously had it. That's the thing. Yeah. She obviously understood this is what it takes and probably would be looking for new ways to leverage that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Now, I know that you also had a story, I think, about Nordstrom as well. Now, oh, Nordstrom yeah. is known for their shoes. So what, do you have just a, a shoe card at Nordstrom <laughs> or do you buy other things? There? Well, of course, Nordstrom's is, you know, it's known. And, and I truly, truly believe they live up to their promise and their expectations. And again, this was years ago. I went in and in the years when we spend if you added up weeks of time in convention halls and big hotels, walking miles from your room to, you know, your meeting Airports. Room. Yes. Yeah. So I would always wear nice flat shoes and carry my high heels to getting on stage or when I'm in the meeting. And I went into water. And again, this is years ago. And I said, uh, I'm looking for a nice pair of, black flat shoes. And the salesman said, and what price range would you like? And I said, oh, about $100. And he said, sit down. And he brought and he said, now, these are 80. These are 100. These are 140. And he smiled at me and said, you know, this is my job. <laughs> you know, in other words, I got to show you something more than you want. By the time we finished, I walked out having spent $540. Now, remember, I had gone in for a pair of flat shoes about 100. If 140 made no difference to me, you know, it's the fit and does it look and is it comfortable? However, I looked at these beautiful red suede high heels. And when you have a sales professional 
who has a nice personality, you are willing because they are earning the sale. Now, I've walked in places, honey, you're not working hard enough. I'm ready to spend, but you're not earning it. I'm going to somewhere else. When somebody is earning and by creating a wonderful experience and, and having, I like friendly banter and repartee. And if you have a personality like that, the chances are I am going to spend a lot more and say, give me a card. My best friend is an image consultant. She would love to bring her clients to talk to you. This is what I mean by sphere of influence that I learned with Mr. Paul. But we all, it's not only the $540 you spend, it's how do you talk about it? Now, in those days, Bob, you just talk to your friends. Now, as you say, it's Instagram. Here I am with my favorite salesperson at Nordstrom's. Look at my new shoes. It is unbelievable what sales professionals in retail with fun personalities, how they can expand. Yeah, I actually did that with a sax guy at uh, New York City. I think it was, it's all a blur with last year, but I think it was just last year and uh, in January. And he was brilliant. He was the one guy on the floor who was able to find a way to get into a conversation. When I'm shopping, it's like work for me. So I'm kind of like, you know, kind of hunkered in. I'm locked in looking at displays and all that. And he found a way to get into conversation. And I ended up finding items that I liked up above, but the salespeople are so horrible. When I came back down, he saw me and he goes, oh, I can ring you up. And I found out he'd been there 35 years. And he was a professional because he smiled and enjoyed himself and didn't ever ask, can I help you find something? And I took a picture with him and I shared it on my Instagram feed because exactly you want to reward the person that's working for it. I think that's that is key. And I think the same thing with public speaking. I think so many people fear it. Mm. And oddly enough, we both chose it. But, you know, if you go back, what was it, 20 years ago, Kiplinger said one of the best ways to invest in your career is learn presentation skills from Patricia Fripp. What I always appreciated that about that quote was it wasn't as a speaker. Because we're all presenting at different levels, right? Think about parents who have to present virtual learning to their kids now, or you're a small business and you're trying to go to a chamber event, or you just opened a store, you're just reopening a store. There's a million ways to think about it, but we're all selling. And maybe people don't like that word, but it's still true. I'm either selling you, I'm credible, I'm fun, I'm interesting, you're going to have fun, you're going to enjoy meeting me or I'm selling you, I am not fun, <laughs> I am not interesting. And we make those decisions quickly, don't we? When it comes whether you're in front of an audience or in front of an individual. Absolutely. And one of the best assets anyone in retail can have is a big welcoming smile. I don't care if your feet are killing you. And having worked trade shows, your feet are killing you. But you've got to have that great smile. And, well, we could go on forever. Now, do you have time for another story that reinforces one of your key principles, Bob? Customers want a complete solution, not just an item. I would love to have that. All right. One of my good friends, Corrine Cordova. She was one of San Francisco's top makeup artists. 
And I met her early in her career. And I had, through my best friend, who was an image consultant, she had an office in the same place where Karine had. We all met. We always used to go to women entrepreneurs in the early days. Fun when you're building your business and you're hanging out with other entrepreneurs. We were so ambitious. And I had Kareen do a makeover on my makeup. Oh, wow. I said, all right, well, and she wrote up the chart with all the colors. And, and I said, okay, well, now I need, I need everything. And okay. she said, well, you can go to Macy. I said, Kareen, why aren't you selling it to me? And she said, well, I don't want people to think I'm only telling them how to do it because I want to sell it to them. I said, but Kareen, you've got me excited. I want every single item, every brush, every color. Well, soon I got her to change. You know, I said, please, you cannot get me excited and not give me everything I need. Well, a month later, her business was very different. And one of the friends that I sent her, Judith Bryles. Now, Judith had two homes, two different places. And like us, she was a speaker and she was traveling. So she said, oh, great, great. I need uh, three of everything. One to keep in my travel bag, one from my Palo Alto home, one from my other home here. And Corrine said to me, Thank you for helping me understand it's not being pushy to try and sell. It's think of serving. And I, I've talked to friends who, when banking became more sales oriented, and this was in England, she said, our customers know what we have to offer and what they want. I said, no, they don't. It is your job just to tell them how you can serve them and then help them make their own choices. Don't think of it as selling. Think of it as serving and letting people know their options. I have to ask you, I was on a call the other day and this um, retailer, very successful, millions of dollars a year. And he said to me, well, you know, our products just sell themselves. And I was so taken aback by that. It was like, uh, no product sells yeah. itself. And I thought it was a really interesting, it was almost, it was almost like saying, well, we're not salespeople, mm -hmm. you know, we don't do anything special. The pro And I thought we have to lance that boil because to me, that's a real limiting belief somehow. It's almost like saying I don't matter in the, in the process, right? You can display it beautifully. You can have celebrity endorsements. However, you still need to be able to answer questions, say, Bob, this is beautiful. However, this one matches your eyes a little better. So you could have both. However, if you only have one, it has to be this one. You probably say, is, well, I like this one, but I agree. This one is great. I'll have them both, which is another. If you were trying to sell to me, you wouldn't really need to, but you'd need to learn. And we all find one of the biggest frustrations for women, and it probably is true for men, you buy a pair of jeans that, oh, they fit so well. I love these. You want another, and well, it's changed. The next year it's changed. I have learned if you get a pair of slacks that fit, 
that you like. Buy them in every color or buy four pairs of the same color because it's going to drive you crazy trying to find them. And if you just introduce Patricia, you these look good on you. And we've we've had to try six different pairs of slacks or jeans to get this fit. Have you how often have you had the frustration of trying to get another and it's last year's design? May I suggest, as you like them so much, that you buy two or three pairs to eliminate the frustration and the time to shop to find something else that fits as well. Now, that isn't pushy. That's logical. That's sensible. Now, and again, it's how often of you. You could say, have you been frustrated to try? How often? Yeah, frequently. I wish I'd bought four pairs of jeans in that shop in Charlotte because I've never been able to find jeans I liked as much. Well, you make a really interesting point, and it's coming to – you've been gracious with your time here today, uh, Patricia. And before I forget, uh, if you like what you're hearing, Patricia, if you just go to fripvt.com, she has a, all of her presentation skills training available that you can take from her and learn from the master of presentation and speaking and all things about engaging people. You know, you brought something up to me when I was hearing your story about your makeup friend. And really what you're talking about is there's one side of people who are really good at, at getting us excited about something and then pull back at the very moment when, yeah, I want that. How do I get it? Oh, not from me. You, you could get that from any. And you're like, what? And then there's the other one who you've come in and you've got that, but they don't realize, oh, we're open to this. All you have to do is put yourself in my shoes. and. And I'm there, but I think we are still caught up in the transaction world. And I think that's true for speakers. You know, we got the gig. Oh, yay. Well, the gig isn't it. It's about how do I end up getting relationship with this company so that they call me more often? Or if you're a commission salesperson, certainly the same thing as well. And I've told this story a lot about uh, menswear, uh, Kathy Udell at uh, menswear boutique, Bashford in San Francisco, and how she totally took my breath away and she was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And again, she'd been there for 30 years because she understood, oh, it's about being in the relationship business. So any final thoughts about that before I let you go? My most frequently reposted fripicism, of which I have hundreds, is don't celebrate closing a sale. Celebrate opening a relationship. And if we do our job well, we're opening a relationship. And a relationship leads to more business, repeat business, referrals, and in this day and age, which brings me up, why don't you suggest it? You look really good. Would you like to give me your cell phone? I'll take a photograph of you in your new outfit for your Instagram and Facebook. Now, what you need to do is position them that it's very obvious where they are. Oh, the light is so much better here with the Nordstrom sign behind you. 
Hold up this bag just a little <laughs> Yes, higher. exactly. No, but, well, but you notice United Airlines, you know, they print photographs of people that hold their Hemisphere magazine on vacation. We can learn from what people with a lot more money, a lot bigger business than us. Because it's about that relationship. Right, exactly, right? And next, Look at the relationship we have with that. Exactly. Next time you interview me, I'm going to tell you about lessons learned from Joe Dispenza at a cemetery. Okay, that's not fair to our audience. You have to tell us that story now. Fripp, that's just not fair. I wanted fair. another interview. Oh, all right. Well, you know, I'll still get you another interview. Okay, well, I'll tell you. For many years, I was an expert in death care. You know, you have a wild success in one big event and you get a lot of business. And what I learned was when you, when you speak at conferences, sit in on the breakout sessions where the industry experts are. And one guy, Joe Dispenza, in fact, I'm still in touch with him and I met him in the mid nineties. And he was talking about getting keeping deserving customers they had a, a cemetery in buffalo and they had tours called the dead residence tours and they had actors who would act as the people who were living in of course they were oh dead gosh. these tours were so popular they had walking tours they had little driving tours they were so successful they keep they had to keep adding tours. It was the best marketing they could. And I used to tell this story. I wrote an article called Death Takes a Holiday. <laughs> and But I used to talk about how, look, if Joe Dispenza can get people into a cemetery for their weekends and bring their family, don't tell me you can't have an event to bring people to your shopping center, to your boutique. It's just a matter of being creative. Well, I think that is a great way for us to end today, Patricia Fripp. How can they find out more about you? Now, I know we'll have links here, but just in general, you're all over the place. So give us a few of the highlights. Uh, LinkedIn, just check for Patricia Fripp. Certainly YouTube, I Patricia Fripp channel on YouTube. My website, Fripp, F-R-I-P-P, Fripp.com. We have a thousand blog posts and plenty of information. You can click there. We have, with part of Fripp VT, we have Fripp VT sales, which is a smaller segment just on the sales process, $97 for three months. Anyone. And certainly, if anyone sends an email to pfripp at fripp.com and said, heard you on Retail Doc Show, I, of course, will answer your question. See, you're gracious with your time and you're gracious to have on our podcast. Thank you so much, Patricia. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Bob. Thanks again to my guest, Patricia Fripp. I always enjoy how she finds the gem stories that illuminate her points, like shopping for stockings or inexpensive flats and how the best salespeople find ways to entice her to buy even more. Examples all my listeners should strive to collect. Well, we'll have another episode out soon. In the meantime, check out my online retail sales training program, salesrx.com. And if you like what you hear, 
won't you give us a five-star rating on your podcast app? I'm Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. Thanks again for listening. Tell Me Something Good About Retail is the podcast of The Retail Doctor. Visit RetailDoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom and pops. As a listener of the Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit RetailDoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit RetailDoc.com.